0: This week on the Sports Initiative Podcast, I sit down with Olympic Judo athlete Ben Fletcher. He discusses his time at Rio 2016, along with his experiences of skill development in the Judo pathway. This podcast was also recorded over the internet, so it may sound a little different to normal. I hope you enjoy. First of all, thanks thanks for coming on. I guess the first question is how is life in this COVID world that we're living in at the moment?
1: Um, yeah, it's um definitely strange. Um so for me, I should have been coming to the end of um qualification for the Olympic games and in the space of sort of the last two months, um something I've been working towards for the last sort of four years is very, very much changed. Um so yeah, it's um, really quite strange. Um, my day-to-day life is completely changed from sort of training and travelling and competing, um, and yeah, it's very different. But it's the same for everybody, and it's I think um, you know hopefully just going to be for a short period of time, and yeah, we'll all get through it hopefully.
0: And so I guess for people that don't know who you are, or don't know your background, you just want to explain kind of what type of athlete you are and what you do and all that type of stuff.
1: Okay, So I'm a, um, I'm a judo athlete. Um, I, I compete for Ireland. I used to compete for Great Britain um, and changed over to uh, fight for Ireland in 2017. Um, and I fight in the under 100 kilos category.
0: Okay, so I guess the first question, which is how come you changed, if you don't mind me asking?
1: No, it's absolutely fine. So um is a little bit of a um, backstory. So um, I moved to Bath when I was 18, Um, I had no sort of like, well, I essentially wanted to move somewhere to go full time, um, and give judo a proper go, Um, I never really expected to get anywhere, um, but uh, I had very supportive parents, and uh, they run a garden centre, and I would work there on the weekend, and then I moved to Bath for the week, Um, I stayed in like a little box room in my sister's house because she was at Union Bath and Bath happens to be, well, at the time, it was one of the best places you could possibly train, it still is, uh, in the UK. Um, and I moved to Bath, had all my success in Bath and about six years into being in Bath, um, British Judo decided to change how they were running things um, and they wanted to create a centralised programme. So instead of having, say, three or four places where the top athletes in the country could, could train, they were going to change and make one one place. Um, and they had tried this before in a place uh, in Dartford, in Kent. And it essentially didn't go particularly well. Um, and I'd sort of seen that. And then after Dartford, you could sort of train elsewhere. You could train in Bath. You could train in Edinburgh. You could train um, in Camberley. There's a few different places you could train. Um, and then they decided to centralise again. And they decided to centralise in Walsall, just outside of Birmingham. Um, and... I, you know, I I still am in Bath. I love being in Bath and think training at the Sports Training Village is fantastic. Um, My coach there, Jürgen Klinger, is, you know, he's up there with some of the best coaches in the world um, and has has coached Olympic champions. Um, And I didn't feel any reason to move. Um, At the time, I was the top-ranked male in Britain, not just in my weight but in all of the weights. and I you know it wasn't because I didn't like the people in Warsaw; it was because I felt what I was doing was really you know really good um and they they wanted people to move to a program which is untested and you know hadn't proven itself yet I you know felt that all of my best results all um had had come from the program in Bath and I'd chosen to move there and loved being there and you know wanted to be there and work with my coach and um, had fantastic training partners. Um, so if you didn't move to Walsall, you would get your funding cut. So obviously that was quite a quandary for me because you know, I felt one in one aspect, my uh, best place to perform would be in Bath. But if you didn't move to Walsall, you wouldn't get any funding. So do you know, like, all sport is very expensive and you're traveling... All over the world to you know get ranking points and compete at these the top tournaments. So it's very difficult to do that. Um, so the year after the Olympic Games was the year when they tried to centralize in Warsaw. Um, and that year, I tried to self fund because if you um, didn't move, you got your funding cut. Um, and the only other way that you could go to tournaments and stuff is self funding. So. I found a few private sponsors. Um, I worked quite a lot. I worked with my parents and a few other bits and pieces. But after a year of doing that, I realized, you know, it's just not an option. Um, it, it's not a feasible option because you never end up with enough money to do it properly. Well, you're either training enough, but not working enough to make the right amount of money, or you're working more to earn more, but then you can't tr- train enough. So the balance is very difficult to get. Um and after World Championships I basically said so to Yeah, my coach, I was like, Look, I I need to change this. This isn't going to um this isn't sustainable and I need to find a way to make it sustainable. Um now I have an Irish mother, um so I've always been half Irish um and have an Irish passport anyway. Um and Megan, my sister, who also does judo to a high level and one of the other uh, British lads who's got Irish heritage, um, had moved and decided to uh, fight for Ireland. So I knew it could be an option, but for me, I'd been to an Olympic Games for Great Britain. So there was a lot of potential difficulty there. Um, But it got to the point where I felt that if I moved to somewhere where I knew wasn't going to be better for me, I was sort of moving for you know reasons which weren't going to improve me as a jitter player. So I decided that I'd either change and fight for Ireland or I'd quit because for me, admitting to move somewhere where I knew I wasn't going to be a better player is just not for me. Um, so I had a meeting with the performance team and basically asked outright if I could move. Um, and they were very, very nice and they... They allowed me to leave um that's kind of a short version it was went on for for months and British you know didn't want me to leave and you know i i I wouldn't say i pushed um too hard but i just sort of asked very nicely and it was it was an amicable des- decision from both sides so um i was able to leave and fight for ireland and that's what i've been doing since 2017.
0: So are you the only athlete apart from the two that you mentioned that's done that, or is there other athletes who have been in a similar predicament to you?
1: Um, from British judo or in yeah. in, in world judo, British judo. No, so there's um, there's a girl I'm friends with, also friends in Bath, um, Priscilla Witi uh, Alcaraz. She fights for Mexico. She's got a Mexican mum, so she fights for Mexico now. There's um, Ebony Drysdale Daly. She's got um. Jamaican heritage so she uh, fights in Jamaica now so there's quite a few people who have who have left um, and uh, decided that the centralized program wasn't for them and um, they were you know wanted to try and make it work uh, competing for somebody else
0: and then for, for this centralized program have they given a time scale for how long they're looking for till they can see results so are they saying they should see results in Tokyo or is it
1: the Olympics after that how how... um so I think with the I'm a little bit foggy on the details now because I'm a little bit outside of um the politics within British you know and like to keep myself outside of that but um they they I think need some results come Tokyo um for this program to continue um I think if they were to get a medal, I think it's a medal or two, maybe um, keeps their funding. But if they weren't, then then might be a complete change. I, I I don't know necessarily what the, you know, what the ramifications would be, that would be of that if they didn't get all the the results they need.
0: Okay, so in terms of for you, where where were you originally based? Where did you start? Like where where did your parents live? Where are you originally from?
1: So I'm from um, Wokingham in Berkshire. So i grew up in working in Berkshire and um started judo at the Pinewood judo club um which within junior junior judo has always been quite um quite a a big judo club um in the u k um my first coach don werner who unfortunately isn't with us anymore um had quite a um you know had for for what is reasonably quite a reasonably small club was very successful at junior level and even senior web level with with women, he had um, a number of world champions and Olympic silver medalists with Nicola Fairbrother. So I was very lucky to have that club ten minutes from my my house growing up. Um, and I'm the youngest of five, so everybody else had, like before me all the judo. So my three older half brothers, um, when they were growing up, my dad was basically like, "Look, I need to find something to." get them to channel their energy in because uh, they're just at home just like attacking each other and it was like right I need to find something to push them into and um, yeah luckily we had a good you know a good judo club nearby and um, then when he had me and my sister he thought you know it's a really good thing to to go into and um, judo is a really good um, is a really good tool to balance some people out like there's so many people who are really Sort of hyperactive, it can really quiet you down and like show make you show respect. And for me, I was quite a shy child, and it sort of brought a lot of self confidence out of me. And um, but yeah, that's all a, a product of the Judo club, really.
0: Why Why do you think that is? Why do you think it brings either the louder side out of some people, more confident, or quieting some people down?
1: I think in its nature, I think there's a lot of so you know, um has japanese origins so there's a lot of um i don't know if you know a lot about japanese culture but there's a lot of honor based and a lot of things and discipline and um so that's like really deeply set within judo um and that will be the case when you practice judo you, you bow beforehand you um you always you know you're always very respectful um and also so i think that that would be a reason why it would quieten people down and help people relax and be less hyperactive but also you're literally getting hold of somebody and trying to throw them or hold them or armlock or strangle somebody so like you know it's quite kind of a baptism of fire for somebody who you know isn't particularly confident you know and i think it's also like you know everybody loses everybody you know and it's individual as well so you it's very difficult to, you know, nobody goes unbeaten. So everybody gets humbled and you have to stay humble because of that, you know, and not that everybody can beat everybody, but, you know, there's not many big fish and small ponds within judo. You know, everybody catches somebody and everybody gets beaten. So, and there's also nobody else to blame, you know, if it's an individual sport, you can't say, oh, you weren't in the right position or you should have done this. It's, you know, you know, sometimes you can blame the referee, but you know, a lot of the time it's you could have done something better.
0: So I guess part of that as well, as you're moving up the age groups, you're going to be fighting people that are maybe a little bit younger than you or a little bit older than you. And again, that humbling process of getting caught in stuff or not being the strongest or the most powerful kind of navigates itself all the way through the journey.
1: Oh yeah, 100%. And like there's... Even now, when I'm fighting right at the top top level, um, there's there's always somebody new. Every year, there's like a new, fresh, young junior who's absolute dynamite, and will come through. And you have to put up with them and find new strategies. And the thing that I love with judo is it's like constantly evolving, and it's never not that any sport is stale, but there's like constantly new influences and new fresh things going on in you know, judo and um that's what keeps it fresh and keeps everybody humble and like you say as as you grow up and you go through the age groups you find older people and younger people and yeah it's it's definitely keeps you humble and grounded and you know, for me it definitely has
0: so obviously you mentioned there that you're one of well, the youngest of, of five kind of mm-hmm. did that Play a part in your humbling Cause I imagine if you were doing judo against those guys, you probably wouldn't wouldn't yeah, have come yeah. out on top so, a lot.
1: There was um, yeah. Also, oh, and my my sister's sort of three years older than me, so like okay. she was quite a bit bigger than me for <laughs> a lot of my childhood. So like, um, my parents used to get us to like they thought like if we did judo together, uh, it would sort of get our um. Those sort of like childhood spats out of at judo, and so it wouldn't bring it home, but that's completely opposite. It just ended up just judo at home, like like throwing each other. And, um, but yeah, like, like you say, definitely having older siblings and people who are a lot bigger than you growing up, it's you know, it's definitely, um, you end up being in a hierarchy, and like you understand, like. You know, not to overstep your mark too much.
0: it's interesting. I know there's research out there that kind of shows the chronological order of kids and what effect that it has, and It says like your oldest one because they're used to winning in the household and stuff. They'd struggle maybe a little bit more with failure because of the fact that they're so used to winning, where the younger ones who maybe are used to losing in races or not being quickest or not being the strongest become really yeah. resilient because of the fact that. They, um, they're used to getting pinned or, or whatever, but then when mm-hmm. if they even out size-wise, it then ends up with the younger one possibly being in a better position to win because they're, they're not that fussed about if they lose, whereas the older one is like, if they lose, it's the end of the world. How have I lost to my younger yeah. sibling and all that type of stuff?
1: Yeah, I, I imagine they develop a mindset, which, you know, it's more growth mindset than, you know, everything is on... on
0: performance on now that, on that race or yeah. on that
1: competition or
0: yeah so looking back now in terms of your looking back with hindsight why do you think your judo club was, was so successful obviously you have mentioned there they had world champions come out of a relatively small judo club can you pin down why that is
1: well um don he was a, a very interesting guy he, but he was very he was very focused on uh, producing performance players, and he it was quite um like if you wanted to join the club, that was great, but he was very like very honest with that he wanted to get results from the players um and he you know would tra we train really really hard like from a, a young age um and there's sort of, you'd only be like sort of two or three sessions a week, but like they were really tough sessions and like everybody's really well drilled. Everybody was really like sort of bought into a certain style. And yeah, I think that was, that was why, especially like with, within junior judo, it was like really, you know, really quite successful for a number of years and like got some really, really good results. Um, but I think that was also, it's probably it's a uh, downfall as well, because when you come to senior judo and like the world level, it you know there's a lot more. You have to be a lot more open and have a lot more. Um, well, I think you just have to be a better judo player than what I was when I when I left there. You know, I, I had to do a lot of work after there to to get to the point I am now. And obviously, I'm still learning and still progressing. But um, the the style that I learned growing up was very successful to a junior level. But, uh, when it came to seniors and senior men's judo, you know, you know, I definitely struggled.
0: So what were the differences? What was the transition you had to make or the gaps you had to bridge?
1: Um, so a lot of the, the, the training we do is sort of drill based. Um, so it would mean you're really, really good if you're in X situation, but then as soon as you're out of that situation, you're, you know, like flying in the wind and not, absolutely no idea what, what you have to do. Um, My coach now, Jürgen, um, we do a lot of things in open situations. So you're sort of, you can react well to those um, and you sort of, yeah, we don't do, it's it's a very different approach. And I think there's a lot of people will have sort of somewhere in between, whereas Don was one way, Jürgen's the other. And both have been very successful. um, But it's, yeah, it's definitely growing up to become more senior men judo, it's, I can't put my finger on exactly why it would be, but I think it just makes you too narrow in your focus and too narrow in your ability of what you can do. Like, I had to sort of expand my coordination level and try new throws, and I couldn't do that with just on a drill-based level. Like, judo is it's so complex, that it's like, there's there's no way that I could continue just doing thrills over and over and over of the same stuff. I had to like really expand my horizons, broaden my horizons to to new things and yeah.
0: And so, was he very based like on the fundamentals of judo, or was it he went into some quite complex stuff as well?
1: Um, my first coach. Yeah. Um. So he his would probably be it probably wouldn't be so much in the fundamentals it would probably be more um like specialized that's that's probably the thing his his view is quite specialized in a very certain style within judo so it's um like really hard and certain aspects in the ground and um a, a certain few techniques can you explain
0: but, those can you explain what ones you're talking about
1: um in judo in, yeah, maybe, in, or... yeah in judo so we we do a lot of drop attacks a lot of like drop sianagi attacks and those sorts of things which i still use now but um i needed to broaden my horizons to like getting in close so there's, there's so many influences in judo through different wrestling and those um those areas that I I needed to explore those as well. And, you know, if you're very, if you're quite narrow and specialized, when you then come up against that, you've got to be so much better at what you do that, like, if you're not used to that, um, or have any experience with those styles and you're going to be so, you know, you're going to be come up short, I really think. It's difficult to explain because, like Jürgen, we we've got more of a um. There's a, there's a lot more skills outside of the the, the narrow sort of a narrower focus that Don would have. His would be like a lot of repetitions of entry steps in and out, in and out, in and out, for a long time. Whereas with with Jürgen, it's a lot more sort of like open and randori focus, and randori in judo is like free practice. So like you, it's literally like open and use just sparring, it's, it's, it's a judo equivalent of sparring, um, and it's a lot more focused on that and seeing how you react to loads of different situations instead of just drilling entry steps and stuff. So I would end up being quite limited in terms of the initial exchanges. Um, so like the gripping exchanges and actually getting to the point where I've got my grip to throw, but a lot of it's like getting to that point to to try and throw somebody, yeah. you know, and setting up the movement and everything. That's why you need quite a wide coordination base. And if you're just sort of being quite um, repetitive on the um, the entry steps for the actual throws, you'll get really good at that. But outside of that, actually getting to that point, you know... You, so
0: it's almost you know, like you, you had the, the finishing move but didn't have the building blocks to use that.
1: Exactly that. So when I say, like, specialised, it was like... Um, exactly, like you had the end product, but you didn't have everything before that. Like so, and thing is with judo, when you if you if you were to teach judo in a club, you would teach the throws first. It's it's funny because you it's like I, I don't know with football, but it'd be like sco- like you start with scoring the goal or like the the final like putting it past the keeper. Yeah. But it's like learning all the things before that yeah. are like the most important bits to get you to that point. So, like, for me, it would be like, so, as you know, with judo, you wear suits. It's like getting to the point on the kit where you're in the right position where you influence the person so that they are in the right position so you can attack. And that's, like, that's like you'll get that two or three times maximum in a fight. So I've got to put pressure on the person and break them up to the point where they're really compromised and I can attack. and I'm sure that would be the same in it in any other sport, like you put somebody under pressure, mistake, opportunity. Capitalise, yeah. So, and then, you, like you say, then you capitalise and you can, you have the weapons to, in order to, to succeed from that.
0: Yeah. So, did you move to Bath when you were 18, did you say? Yes. So, you finished? So, so, what yeah, was I your journey through? sorry go no so what was your journey obviously you would have been at Pinewood kind of going through the age groups and stuff I assume competing kind of regionally and whatnot and then what was the decision to go actually I'm going to give this a go why was that your decision in the end
1: so I was at Pinewood from when I was five to 18 and I still um I still you know go to the club I'm still um I don't want to say I'm a patron of the club but I'm still like involved and still go to the Christmas party and I still see the the coach now a lot and have a really good relationship with the club. Um, But it was getting to the point when I was around 17, 18 and maybe a little bit before that I was sort of one of the better juniors in my way, but I didn't have like the people to train with. Um, And we'd been doing basically the the same stuff then that I've been doing since I was, you know, really early teens. Um, So when we had like the special, I was like, really good with like certain things. And then I had like massive gaps in my knowledge and like what I, I really needed to make, make that up if I was ever going to improve with judo. Um, and for that, like, I needed, I felt I needed to move somewhere else. Um, and, you know, not that I didn't think what we, we had done at home was good, but it was, I needed to find something, something else and somewhere to, to arrest. and, that's the, the situation in the UK a lot. Like You have a good club, but then to to ascend, ascend to the next level, you need to go to like um, one of the more performance-based clubs or centres. Bath's one of those, Edinburgh, Camberley, there's there's a lot of those. Um, and that's that's normally what people will do. And for me, it was just a time where I'm like a larger player. I'm, I fight under 100 kilos. There's not many athletes and there wasn't enough at the club so I just felt I needed to move on
0: okay so obviously you, you decided to move down to Bath and um go down that kind of performance route how did you make that transition and what was it like earlier on when you're going into those groups obviously with some I'd imagine some very good athletes slightly different to what you'd experienced back in Pinewood what was that transition like
1: yeah it was um it's difficult really difficult um so I used to um like I said, Megan, my sister, she was at university at Bath, um like before, so I would go down and like do like like half term down there or something like that and it like go down most weeks on a Monday night, um, for like sparring and randori. Um so I I had like quite a I'd, I'd go reasonably often anyway, but I know I wanted to move full time eventually. Um so it was quite good because there was uh a gradual process to me moving but then even when you move full time it's a real like a real like uh, surprise Like, I, and the thing was I was even doing like gym programs that the S&C coach in Bath had given me and I was doing them back home but when you move from doing sort of three judo sessions and two gym programs a week to training two times every day with some of the best athletes in the country people who are a lot older than you you know it, it really is difficult and uh, yeah it's
0: kind of a little bit sink or swim you know and so you, I guess that's an easier transition because you knew some of the people you're coming in towards and all that type of stuff how did you take to kind of your sparring partners and whatnot over that period um, obviously coming in you're training full time essentially competing against one another how, mm-hmm. how, how was that for you
1: yeah I think um, it's you know it's funny because like when you're on the mat it's very much like it's not that you want to beat somebody up but you've got to go through them to actually to do what you need to do and to win um so like i think it was it's always difficult when you beat new people and um you know especially in judo but there's always that under level underlying level of respect and you know, there's never, it never continues off the mat really, um, or it very, very rarely does. So it's sort of always sort of mutual respect on the mat and then, and, and it off as well. And everybody kind of realizes what you have to do to succeed and try and get better. So it's going to be the case that sometimes you have to be a little bit hard in sparring, but, you know, it's all, it's understood what the person's trying to do and that person will be trying to do it back to you and it's all in the grand grander scheme of trying to get better at, you know, individually and as a group.
0: And did you feel the benefits of competing against better athletes, maybe more experienced or physically who are able to train and whatnot twice a day? Did you feel those benefits as soon as you went down there?
1: Yeah, 100%. I think you when you start in a new place like that, you will improve quite quickly. It's going to be very difficult um because of the training load and a lot of other factors, but you will definitely improve really quickly because like in I know in wrestling they call it the rub. Like when you when you compete against somebody who's that much better than you, you learn off of them, you yeah, get tips from them, but also just dealing with that higher level, you know, it, it makes you like I say, it was a little bit single swim, you either find a way to get better or you you don't. And, you know, I was very determined to make sure that I improved.
0: And was there anything you can pinpoint now where you go, actually, I learned that quite early on. This is something I needed to work on or not. this was an area of development or actually I'm pretty good at this, where I thought it might be something I was average at. But this is something I'm really good at. Um,
1: well, I there was always some really good... Um, beliefs that i took from pinewood and like resilience and like at pinewood we'd always train for like say two and a half hours that's a really long time so i would be able to train and i had a really good engine and could, could go and go and go for the whole session and so of be relentless and that's still one of my um my strengths in a, in a competition um and i think that's one of the things that i realized quite early on that i was good at but um On the other side, from what I said earlier, like when I was quite specialised in certain things, and then I went into a, a bare pit of really, <laughs> really strong, um formidable lads who were like some of the best in the country. um Yeah, it's it sort of, you know, and the thing is, in a fighting sport, of judo, you know, you can't hide anywhere. So you, you know, if you're not, I, I can't think right now exactly what I'd have been lacking, but like. I do know that if you're in that environment and you're in any way lacking, you can't, there's, there's there's nowhere to hide, you know, and your weaknesses get found out really quickly.
0: And now it's my understanding from talking to Tom and listening to different uh, podcasts and people that one of the, the good things about judo, same with jujitsu and stuff, is it's quite a good... Uh, relationship between players in terms of learning techniques and whatnot as well yeah. how did you find that going into a place where you got more experienced athletes who might be national international level and you're trying to learn techniques from them how was that process for you
1: yeah it was great i like that in bath we everybody was like a judo group is is sort of it's very close like you just said like everybody's sort of like a big family like not everybody gets on the best all the time but everybody's out to to help and to like sort of get better as a group um and there's always somebody will be like why don't you try this or this could work or and everybody's bouncing ideas off each other and especially in technical sessions um everybody's trying to help each other um so yeah, I, I, that was one of the reasons why I moved there because I knew there were such good judo players, such good coaching, um, and yeah, it's it's just a really it's just a really good place to be. It's like a melting pot of ideas of, of, of judo and people who are really good technically. And like like I said, I was probably quite specialised, so I needed to have my my horizons broadened to new new ideas and how I could do things differently and. That's one of the reasons why I moved you know, and just to see new things get um get a new perspective from people who want to help you and you can help them and you know you know get better as a as a group and as individ- and as individuals
0: and do you take ownership of that now, still in that group? I assume you're one of the more senior ones do you still look to ensure there's that melting pot
1: Oh a hundred percent and like like I, I will always try and like I'm, I try and think that I'm quite creative with how I, um, with how, with how I train in that. So I think I will always try and like be creative myself. But then like try and push ideas onto other people and like see if they will try it and see if it could work. And you know, just you know, I think for, for me, I'd like I'd prefer to, to say some say something to somebody and they go, actually, that's not for me then not say it and you know wish I had so I think I'm I'm definitely one of the older players now and I think I will always sort of try and um, give people advice if I can and especially like trying to you know improve or give, give words of advice if I can.
0: And I guess that takes quite a lot of self-reflection in terms of knowing what your game is or knowing how that could benefit you or might not benefit you. How do you go about that as an athlete? How do you go about having that self awareness to understand what things work for you and what things
1: might not? Um, well, I think that for for me, it, like I'm quite a reflective person anyway. But I think um, judo is is very cutthroat in the respect that you all like you will of fight because of of a reason or you will have been thrown because of a reason or you would have been pinned for a certain reason so it's very it's quite obvious what that is so you learn that from going back over things um and just like you say reflecting and just being like what right why did that happen how can i improve it and that that's for me that's like in in every aspect it's how do i get better and why did that happen and how do i how to improve that.
0: And so, if you were getting caught in a, on a particular throw or particular grip on a regular mm. occurrence and you were reflecting on this is something actually I really struggle with, what process would you put in place to try and improve in that area?
1: Um, so, a lot of the time in judo, proactivity is like one of the best things. So, say if there's a certain grip that somebody gets which leads to this throw. It's sometimes just stopping them getting that grip, or putting yourself in that exact situation and finding a way that you can stop that. Um, because everybody has holes in their game. Everybody, you know, you know, can can be better as, and everybody has weaknesses. Um, so it's just like being. I think the biggest thing with that is just being completely honest with what the reason is why, you know, X, Y, or Z has happened. And you go, okay, this is why it's happened. How do I stop it? Um, try and, and then try and put in different measures. You know, like like I said, try and be proactive to try and like, stop the situation even coming to that in the first place. So for me, like stopping somebody getting the grip that they want to do that. And then, okay, what has happened? If they've got into the right position. Then what do I do? And then trying to find a number of different ways to stop that.
0: Do you think that links back to... I mean, that's quite a reflective practice. Obviously, it's quite resilient because if you keep getting caught in the same way, it'd be easy to go, oh, (laughs) I'm I'm done with this type of thing. (laughs) Do you think that links back to when you're growing up in judo, that process of constantly being humbled and going, you've got to find a way, you've got to find a way, you've got to find a
1: way? Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's definitely that because, like it doesn't matter who you are, everybody loses in judo. Like there's, you know, there's, there's, there's some, you know, there's maybe a one percent 0.1% who, who very, very rarely lose, but everybody loses and everybody doesn't have a, um, don't doesn't have a great day, but then everybody on top of that will always have weaknesses and those weaknesses will always be exposed. And with judo, you do a lot of randori, a lot of sparring and, you know, nobody's going to be their best every day. And especially if you're training with really good good really good level athletes, those weaknesses are gonna be exploited. So you know, it's it's something that you I think it's just built into judo. Like you stay humble because you're always being tested or you should always be trying to be tested. Um and trying new things to, to better yourself and better yourself as a judo player. And that's just how I think for the vast majority of people who are trying to get better in judo, that's just how it is. I guess get
0: you to reflect a little bit when I when I typed your name in after you agreed to come on one of the things that flashed up was an article by team bath that showed a picture of um, everyone in the dojo at, um, team bath watch I assume a screen of you competing at Rio oh yeah <laughs> so it's quite a nice picture and there's a lot of people there which I think is obviously a testament to you in terms of your character the fact that people wanted to come in and watch when you reflect back on that process now in terms of, you know, getting there in itself and the qualification towards that, to the being in the athlete village and stuff, how did you find that whole Olympics? How how was that for you?
1: Um, it's a strange old thing in Olympic Games, mate. It's um like like think thinking about like the people being in the in the dojo and like that day they were like tested judo sessions and people could come and that was like for me i was like at least there's some like positive to the day because you know i unfortunately went out first round and you know wish wish i could have had more but it's um for me like in 2016 it was a really big deal for me just to qualify um and to, to the the qualifying um for judo is, is rigorous it's like over two years and it's it's not like you you get a certain time and you go or you get you have to be I think at that point it was top twenty one in the world, um and now it's top eighteen, which is really helpful. Um <laughs> we we definitely didn't need it to be, be any harder, but um anyway, so for me just to be at that time, just to be at that level was a real big deal because as you can imagine, like every tournament the places are changing around and shifting and it was really touch and go whether or not i was going to be um whether i was going to qualify so just to qualify it was a really big deal and it was like i did everything possible to be at my best um but ultimately it wasn't enough and it it was a really good experience to go to a games and you know just be there not that i wanted to just be there i wanted to perform and, and medal but you know it wasn't to be um but what was what was that
0: process like obviously you've 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 qualified you you've booked your plane ticket if you like. What are the steps for you to actually arrive there you know in terms of like getting kit in terms of actually getting to Brazil in terms of opening ceremony in terms of finding out who you're rooming with what What does that process actually entail?
1: um so once you once you've qualified, it'll be um I think that was sort of the end of May. And then the games are end of July and August. So from there, like, I had like a little holiday just because I was completely destroyed from the, the qualification period. So from there, it was sort of step back a little bit, have a little holiday. Um, and then I went three weeks to Japan to basically, you know, rebuild what I could again. Um, then came back. Then it's, um, it was straight into a camp um, to prepare then. Um, and at that point I was, uh, still with Great Britain. So it was a camp in Walsall in the Midlands. And from there we went to the NIA to get the, um, to get all your kit. And it's outrageous what you, what you can get like in kits. Like it's like, it's like, it's, it's too much. It's, it's silly. Like, um, you get like four large holders full of kit. You get like a suit, you get everything. Like everything you could think of, you 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 get, um, and then from there, like, there's like the processes like it all happened really really quickly. Um, so from there, it was like a few days at home, and then um, flew out to Belo Horizonte in Brazil, which is where the holding camp was. We were there for about a week. Then from there, it was a week in the village, and then then competed.
0: And so, for you being in that athlete village and stuff, I must imagine that's quite surreal from someone you was touch and go whether you're going to even be going on the plane and stuff. To then walking around and obviously being there with all the other GB athletes and yeah. and whatnot, did you feel like you were part of the team? Did you feel like you um, ch- it, ch- it's
1: it's a strange thing because it's really really surreal. Um, and, yeah, it, it, I don't know how to like, – I, I did feel part of the team and that sort of thing. and It was um, made to feel very welcome. Um, but it is such a strange thing. It's like there's a lot of different personalities in that there and, like, obviously you get on with some people and not others. But it's, it's just a, a strange environment where you're walking around and there's celebrities that you only see on TV, like, in the lift with you and you're just like, that's Mo Farah. And then you're like, okay. And then, the, I think it was either the first or second night we were there, Like un, underneath the accommodation um, the block we were in, there was a, a ping-pong table, me and uh, two of the GB lads, and I think a couple of girls were there, just playing ping-pong. Andy Murray walks over with the Davis Cup team and says, oh, can we join in? And we were playing around the world to where you run around hitting it, like with Andy Murray and the Davis Cup team, and you're just like, what is happening? Like, this is just like... <laughs> uh, and it's just... Yeah. And there's 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 a lot of real positives to that to that trip and a lot of um really good memories from like before and after. But also it's you know, it's very difficult as well, like your your whole life is built up to that moment as well, and then if it doesn't go how you want it to, it's sort of it's a really, really strange
0: you know so it's if we, we 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 yeah we can we can talk about the the other side in a bit, but I guess you're leaning towards more, more the performance side. So when you look back now, is there anything you look at and you go, "I would have done this differently," apart from obviously win? Yeah. Is there anything you look back and go, "Actually, in my preparation, I would have done this differently," or uh, I I doesn't I don't think that was the right move.
1: Yeah, well, um, well, the, the biggest the biggest thing that would have helped is if I'd qualified earlier, um, but like that was just you know because the earlier you qualify, the better results, the more you can sort of step back earlier and then give yourself more time to prepare. But that wasn't really an option for me, so I had to go to right to the last day and qualify. Um, but what that meant was I was then absolutely destroyed by the end of qualification, and then you sort of got you know sounds silly you've then got to get yourself back up again to to go again, and it's getting yourself back up to the end of the games is just difficult, but physically you're mashed. Yeah. you know you're just completely like not not in the right right place um so um preparation wise then like I wouldn't do anything differently i I, pre- I prepared really well um one thing like, i if I had my time again, I wouldn't have been in the, the village as long. So I was in the village for about a week before I competed, um, and we, like me, I basically I think the whole team, bar the, the lightweight, Ashley McKenzie, he went in on the, the, a day earlier than us. So, the the village itself is like, it's amazing, but it's got this, it's so energetic and so bells and whistles and everything happening, that it's very distracting, and I tried to stay away from that as much as possible, but I don't necessarily think it's the the right environment to be in for an extended period before you compete. Like if not that I'm blaming anybody for that, but if I you know, it was my first Olympic game so I wouldn't have known that, but if I um if I qualify in everything this time, then I will want to not be in the Olympic village more than two or three days beforehand. I think a week is just a long time to be there and it's it's quite draining to be there. Um for me, I, I'd i always prefer to be like sort of a bit more outside, a bit more relaxed atmosphere. And um so yeah, that's that's probably the main thing that I would change. But um
0: and then whether in terms of
1: would have made a big difference or not? I no, I don't know.
0: And then in terms of um kind of the, the competition side itself, obviously. you you know where the venue is, all all that type of stuff. you go in there with with coaches. I assume it's not the coaches that obviously you normally work with in Bath, but the people you would have worked with in Walsall and stuff. What's the process for you going to the arena in a day and kind of how many, is it similar to normal competitions where you might have multiple fights in a day if you get past the first round? And what does that competition day look like? like,
1: That would be one thing that I would have changed. I would have, had my own personal coach there but like that's maybe in or there as well. That's that wasn't an option at the time. Um but yeah it's the Olympic style in, in for judo is exactly the same as any other event, so it's just one day you'll probably have five, six fights if you get to a medal fight and then um from there you know, yeah, sorry. You'll have uh five or six fights within the day. Um and, you know, if you lose first fight you're out. Um you don't get to the quarterfinals you're you're out. Um and yeah it's can be amazing, can be devastating, you know, it's um and everything in between.
0: And did it feel different when when you're putting on your, your gi with Great Britain badge or writing on the back and stuff, does it feel different to a normal competition? Did did the build up to it feel different?
1: Yeah, the build up was different. It's 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 strange in a way. Um you, you, I, I find with, with any competition you try and normalise things as as much as you can. And I have to say like the the first day I walked into the competition hall, like, because there's so much hype beforehand you get in get interviewed before competitions and that, that never happens for judo athletes and you know, you're around loads of other people that you wouldn't normally be around. And then it was a real sigh of relief for me when I walked into the competition on the first day, I think it was one of the lighter weights. And you're just like, oh, it's just a judo competition. It's you know, two athletes, two coaches, and a referee, and everything else is you know kind of irrelevant. You know, it's that's what it is. Um, and I remember feeling like a real sigh of after after that. And it was so funny because like you're just like, of course that's what it is. But like it's 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 so easy to get wrapped up in everything the Olympic Games are when really it's as hard. Or or it's just as hard as any other tournament that I would have been in. You know, I'd have been to a World Championship, I'd have been to, you know, Grand Slams at that point, and I'd be fighting the same people. But it's just a different different name at the top.
0: Yeah, and then I guess how how long before did you know who your opponent was, and uh, had you faced
1: him before? Um, no, so because I was day six. So it's one weight for men and one weight for women um over a seven day period. So I was day six so I knew basically a week beforehand, which is helpful but it's also like quite nerve wracking as well. Yeah. Um I had born before and it hadn't gone well. <laughs> so that was obviously quite difficult. Um and then yeah, there's people like talking on social media and that sort of thing, you just try and save stay, stay away from that as well. It's um yeah. It's um, it's difficult, but that's also like part of the challenge of like adapting to that situation and not allowing it to be too stressful and too too zapping of energy. And have you have you faced him since? No, so it was it was quite a strange situation. Um, I've, I've trained with him like in on like a, on a sparring camp. but I've never actually um, like uh, like in a competition for him. Um, it's quite strange because he was, there's two really, really good athletes in the weight below um, in 90 kilos uh, for Georgia um, and the, uh, the guy that I thought actually moved up a year before the games um, and nobody actually thought he had actually qualified and he ended up having like an absolutely blinding run and like won some of the, the hardest tournaments just before the end of qualification and sort of came into the games in really good form Um I only ended up getting seventh, but I think, like, I, I I think I even said before the draw came out, like he's the person that nobody wants, and then I ended up getting it, yeah. so uh, it's not ideal, but you know, it's what what it was. So.
0: And so then, obviously, you've you've lost the fight, and you know, kind of that's you done for the for the day and for the the Olympics and stuff. How was that feeling for you? What what was it like after that? Um,
1: I, Yeah, like, pretty depressing, really. Um, Yeah, like, it, it's one of those... Like, I have um, a couple of mates out there and I have like, my family out there as well. And it was really nice to see them as well and just, like, it was nice that they'd come all that way but it's also, like, just felt like you let people down and wish you could have given more and just wish it had gone differently. Um, but that's also sport and that's also what I do. And that's always something that could happen. There's always something that could is in the back of your mind, that that might be what happens. So, you know.
0: And what did you do after? Did you stay around and watch? Did you go back to the village? Did you go out with family? What, what did that look like? Um,
1: yeah, so I, I say um, I remember... I did watch uh, a little bit more because, it's like, it's one thing. There's always a feeling because there's so much hype and everything. You you always get a feeling of relief a little bit, like because so it build up and then it's like, like even if you lost, like, and then it was just like, oh, like you know, it was really disappointing. Um, but then um, went to a bit of lunch, spent a bit of time with my family, best I could, and then um, um. Went out afterwards, I think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> went out and just, um, yeah, went out and enjoyed myself for the next couple of weeks, really. Um, stayed in the Olympic Village um, until the closing ceremony, which is which is obviously really nice. Um, some people get s- flown straight home, so it is really nice to stay and experience a bit, a bit more of Rio. So, um,
0: And how yeah, did you uh, find that as a country? Sorry? Brazil itself and Rio as a city, how did you find it?
1: yeah um amazing um like rio um as a place is, is really really pretty um and i managed to like i headed out and um did some sightseeing um myself which is probably advised because <laughs> rio's got quite a formidable reputation but um yeah um there's a place called uh pedro uh, telefono, which is where um, it looks like you're hanging off of a rock. There's, um, like a really nice view in the background. It looks like you're ha- sort of hanging off a rock off, the, off a cliff. Um, and like all, all of that area just sort of, I think, south of Rio is really, really beautiful. Um, and yeah, Brazil, uh, people were, were all really, really friendly and, um, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting and, uh, yeah, great cu- culture. And I, am you know, look forward to going back at some point.
0: So then, I guess obviously you've enjoyed yourself in the athletes' village and going out and experiencing Rio and whatnot itself. When you've then flown back, kind of after the closing ceremony and stuff, what was the process to getting back into back into training? Obviously, I know you would mentioned earlier that you then kind of difficulties with the wall school camp and stuff and what that looked like for you. But what when did you go back into training? What did that look like? What was your mind? mind-like and all that type of situation?
1: Um, yeah, so... Um, it, was, it was one of those things where I had another month a month's holiday and um, I needed that just to sort of, like, you know, detach a little bit and just sort of see where I was and just see... Um, like, I was 24, but I was also a bit like, do I want to continue doing this as well? And, like, am am I going to get better? And for me, it's always been about, like, whether... I am going to get better. Um, and, you know, do I, do I think I can actually make the next level? Because I feel like I would be wasting my time and other people's time if I w- wasn't doing it for sort of pure reasons, you know? And with judo, you know, I think that's the only way you can do it because there's no money in it, there's no, so you kind of got to be, or well, my, my intentions have always been to be doing it strictly to be the best I can be and to challenge myself. Um, And that period was sort of just reaffirming for myself that I'd been doing it for the right reasons and just sort of digesting everything that had happened. Um, And mentally, it was was really difficult because, you know, you built up to something and although it was a big achievement to get there for me, it, you know, it hadn't gone how you want it to go and, um, yeah. And there was also lingering in the background what was going to happen with Warsaw and, all of those things, and I was, you know, it's it was difficult. There's a lot, a lot of things to consider, and uh, yeah, it was, it was a difficult time. But you know, I, you know, came home and spent a bit of time with my family, my friends, and stuff, and that, that always helps.
0: So if we, I guess, fast forward a little bit through all the the Warsaw and the, the island stuff, and look back, probably. I guess around 2018 ish, maybe okay. 2017, when you're looking at going. Actually, I'm gonna try and make a run for Tokyo. Um, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go towards that because I feel like I can improve between now and then. What would your qualification look like? What type of tournaments were you going to, or have you gone to, and what were those results? And then I guess off the back of that if you just want to explain kind of what your training seasons look like and what that might look like from competition to competition, month to month, week to week, day to day. I appreciate that's quite a detailed question, but if you just want to go through kind of what your, your life as an athlete looks like and you know, what's on the specific side, if you like.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So in judo, um, you'll normally have two majors every year. Um, so there'll be either a European Championships and a World Championships, or a Continental Championships and a World Championships, or a Continentals and a Olympic Games, um, and they are the sort of what you peak for within the year. So the Continentals are always, always in April, and the um, the World Championships are normally um, end of August September, or the Olympic Games would be um, July August sort of time. So they're sort of your markers in the year what you want to try and peak for. Um, outside of that, so um, what you know, if you're uh, looking to try and get to the Olympic Games, you'll be doing a lot of qualification tournaments, and throughout the year, there's a number of um, point-scoring events, which are Grand Prix, Grand Slams, and that's where sort of like, the real best athletes will be at trying to sort of get points um, to qualify for the Olympics, but also like come into form and raise your world ranking to be in the best position come the, the major events like Continentals or the, or the World Championships. So your training will be based around that. Um, so, yeah, so my year will always start um, with a training camp in Austria. There's, um, in judo, we have a lot of like sparring camps where people from all over the world will go and basically spar together, um, which is probably quite a strange concept, but everybody's sort of like training with... This is very similar to when I moved to Bath, like the same sort of idea that you're going and sort of training with the best people, um, so you're going to get the best reward back, um, or oh, sorry, the best results back, and um, my year will be full of those camps, so they'll, uh, the year will start in Mitisu in Austria, a camp there, um, and then I'll sort of normally compete towards the end of January, start of February, um, probably a couple of times in March, and then Main competition will be in the continentals in, in April. Then probably step back a little bit for a couple of weeks, then rebuild, um, more of a generic phase, sort of get, um, fitter and stronger, sort of a lot more longer distance running, um, muscle build sort of programs and then sort of then build towards the world championships or the Olympic games again and sort of, um, make like incremental steps along the way. So if it's over a three or four month period, we'll start off, um, everything on more of a generic base with judo. we will be trying new techniques. Um, like I say, a lot more longer distance um, uh, running side of things and, and the, the gym work will mirror that. Um, and then everything, as you get closer and closer to a major event, will be more dynamic, More uh, will be shorter, will be more sharp, will be basically so you're hitting your best stride come the, come the major event. Um, and the tournaments in between, you will be in good form, but you won't be quite as good in quite um, of good a form as you would be, you know, hopefully, at the major event.
0: Okay, so if you are looking at a period where maybe you've, you've just competed, you've just been in a tournament, and then you're looking to obviously increase your cardio, maybe put on a little bit of weight, all that type of stuff, what would your training during a week of that look like? Um, if you want to go to specifics in terms of distances you're running... Longevity of sessions, gym sessions, what type of weights you're lifting, all that type of stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so, like w- with most things, it'll all be dependent on the goal. So, if I um, need to improve my my VO2 max or my cardio endurance, um, we'd normally start with sort of the more longer endurance. I'll be running sort of like a low pace between forty five and sixty minutes. Um, and then sort of longer distance endurance, uh, um, endurance intervals. So sort of five times a thousand meters at certain heart rates. Um, so we'll, we'll usually test um, a VO2 max. We'll test a step test to give us like a base heart rates to work at. And then we'll sort of take test again a couple of months later and just make sure, maintain that we're improving all the time or at least maintaining. Um, and then in the gym, it'll be a lot of, you know, it depends on the goal everything is trying to encourage progression in some way or working on weaknesses or my 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 c we'll we'll test certain um certain areas and have the data from years before and see where we're at in, like with that and just you know basically just trying to find ways to improve across the board constantly um and that's kind of. How I, how we look at it and just trying to find weaknesses or trying to, you know, plug holes and make a better picture of a judo athlete. And um, yeah, so there'll be a lot of compound lifts in the gym, a lot of um, you know, your typical bench, squat, deadlift, <laughs> um, and just generally trying to work on weaknesses. And that will be the same on the judo mat. That will be same in the gym and and running and uh, cardiovascular fitness as well.
0: And so I assume the reps and stuff and weights and stuff you're doing alternates in order to reflect that.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. So it'll be a lot more reps um, towards the start of the block, and then before um, right before a competition, it'll be very like sort of maximum strength, um, and then dynamic movements as well. A lot of jumps, a lot of um, real explosive, like sharp dynamic movements um, right before competition. So I'm really sort of. At my most dynamic and at my my best physically before a competition. And in terms of like ju- jumps and box
0: jumps and stuff, what would that look like if you're if you're doing a gym session, maybe a week out to a competition, you're doing box jumps. How many are you doing? Yeah, how many are you doing? What does that look like? How many sets and reps and whatnot?
1: Um, probably like four sets of five. Like sometimes over hurdles or like um, off of one box onto a a bigger box, so there's sort of the, the reactive element. Um, but it, it, it all depends on, um, you know, we also do a lot of single leg stuff, like, like um, single leg hops and stops and those sorts of things. The sort of reps and sets sort of escape me at the moment, but normally sort of like five each leg um, or five jumps in total for a number of sets.
0: And can you, I'm assuming you're trying to minimize the disparity between maybe your right hand side, which you're good at throwing off, compared to your left hand side. Is that something you're actively always trying to work on?
1: Yeah, so, and that's one thing in judo. So, um, usually somebody will have a certain way that they grip. So, for me, it's like I'll grip my right hand on top of somebody's shoulder or sort of on the top of their back, and then my left hand will be on their sleeve. So, I'm a little bit like I'm sort of driving a, a bus almost, like, <laughs> you know, with one hand up. And so, that will, that you know, maybe cause imbalances in my 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 uh, my body and how I'll stand. So it's like also in in the gym I'm just basically trying to make sure that we, we keep those imbalances as small as possible um and making sure that I'm in the best physical shape. Like when I say weaknesses it's also it's not just so I'm strong through that area, but it's also so I'm stable and I'm less likely to get injured because with Juno it's a contact sport. If you're you know you have a weakness somewhere so if I have a really strong upper body and like no legs um that's all well and good until you know somebody tries to attack me and you know my ankles aren't <laughs> aren't fit for purpose you know and you get very easily get injured
0: and then for you um on a diet what is is there a strict diet that you have to be on I mean do you I know competitions times some people do have to cut weight do you have to cut weight for yours or are you okay or how does that look for you
1: yeah, so for me it's it's quite quite strange because I'm a little bit larger. My, my nutritionist is basically giving me free reign to um, that I have to like, eat a lot. of. I have to eat a lot, especially like with two or three sessions every day. So if you're larger, you're going to be using a lot more calories anyway. And then if you're doing two or three sessions, you're going to be burning calories like to get out of fashion. like there's always people think like the rowers they burn loads and loads of calories, and that's the same for me. Um, so, I I get the free range to, you know, just pack in the calories, sort of five, six meals a day with everything, you know. And like, I'm obviously, not junk food. I'm, I have to get certain levels of protein, um a lot of carbohydrates, good fats, lots of fruits and vegetables as well. Um, but then, yeah, when it comes around to competition time, I have to be under 100 kilos. So, for me, it's a good thing to be 105, 104, 105 beforehand. Um, and not necessarily to be really lean all the time, because if I've got a little bit, a little bit more body fat on that sort of facilitates my body to be a little bit better with immunity and also like gives a good environment to, um, to grow and repair. But then when it comes down to a competition, I need to gradually bring my weight down. So I'm lean and, you know, ready to, ready to fight and be able to make weight and, make way in a good way so that I'm not in any way compromised.
0: So what, this is a hard question, but on an average day, average meals, obviously you mentioned you do five meals a day. What might you eat throughout the day? So breakfast, snack, lunch, snack, dinner,
1: Um, So it's So my breakfast would normally be something along the lines of, it depends on the day and how much time I have, but I'll uh, normally try three or four eggs, bacon, um some good sourdough, sort of brown toast, um, butter, coffee, juice. Um, then I'll eat again. So that'll probably be eight, eight thirty in the morning. Then next meal, um it's normally sort of every three, three and a half hours I'll eat, so then again probably about twelve. And then you're looking at sort of like spag bowl, um, pasta, you know, hopefully some some veg on the side as well, but, you know, hitting all the markers like good protein, um, you know, a good whack of carbs and fat as well um, and then also veg well. three o'clock, three, four o'clock i normally have um, if I can get a meal in, I will, if not, I'll have a shake which is normally, um, you know, again, like high calories, you know, going through the day i normally have creatine as well at that, sort of, at that sort of point. Six o'clock will be like a, my biggest meal of the day. Um, you know, um anything like a curry, a Thai green curry, a heaters, um, you know, I-, I like to cook quite a lot, but it's, it's it's basically around the same sort of recipe of like protein, a lot of carbs, a lot of fat. Um and so that'll be my biggest meal and then normally sort of like nine o'clock I'll have something else. But Oh, then I normally have sort of. I normally, would have like, um, like kefir or like um, a live yogurt, um, with porridge protein powder, and then that sort of sustains me like through the, the period when I'm going to be asleep, um, and make sure I'm not hungry, but also means that I've got fuel for the for the whole whole night.
0: Okay, so. I'll I'll leave your food there. I think that's good good detail. It's a lot healthier than a lot of people's diets as well. But um, it moving forward now. Obviously, it was it was due to be kind of toko this year, which I imagine you you were working towards. Um, in terms of your qualification process, where were you at with that? Where where are you now with it? What is it going to look like moving forward for you guys? Kind of what, what's the current situation with it?
1: So there were, um, there were five tournaments left, um, I was, when I found, the, um, when it all started to become a little bit more real, I don't know for everybody else, but for me it was sort of like something in the background, I was very, very concentrated on qualification um, and I was, it was I think Wednesday before a tournament when I was going to Morocco, um, they first canceled with Morocco and then the next weekend there was a tournament in Russia that got cancelled, and then basically they just pushed all the tournaments until the end of April. I think it was at, at that point they basically said, "Like we've got to cancel everything until then, until we know more." Um, so obviously that was like you know things started to become a lot more real then. And then you know before we know it, the Olympics is being postponed until next year. And um, at the moment we don't really necessarily know what's going to be, how many tournaments there's going to be left. Um in qualification um and it's all still quite up in the air to when we'll be able to fly and travel and and everything so we i'm just a little bit left in the lurch at the moment um but whenever it happens and you know I'll be ready and ready to, to go in.
0: and points so, points wise at the moment would would you be close to that qualification standard
1: yeah so for example if the um if the qualification finished tomorrow i'd be I'd be in, you know, so I'm, I'm in qualification now. So it's a very different picture this time to, um, four years ago when I ex- how it explained it. it was a very touching go. This time it's a, it's a li- been a little bit more, um, consistent the whole way through. I've been, um, sort of getting some of the best results and, um, have been up to like seventh in the world ranking. Um, this time instead of 21st or whatever. So, you know, I've been a lot, um, a lot closer to the right at the top and, uh, all in all, it's been a lot more positive
0: recently. And I guess linking this back to what you said earlier, by being higher up in those rankings and whatnot and having more points, it means you can pick and choose your tournaments better and hopefully have a period where you'll have a break from your last competition and then be able to train or whatnot ready for the Olympics. Whereas on the last wrap time round, you had to compete right the way up to Olympics and then had a short period in which you were able to prepare for it
1: yeah 100 percent. and in theory that's what we would like to do um whether or not that happens i you know i don't know like i say it depends on how many tournaments the international judo federation put on um so that's the problem we face because if they put in on like another 10 15 tournaments the points i already have although they're good they could be you know a little bit irrelevant so, like, I, although there's a certain amount of points in the bag, essentially with Judo, you, know, you you qualify over two years and as you get your first five results from the first year, and they're sort of banked already. I've got five good results for, for this year. But, you know, if they put 10 more tournaments on and people behind me start doing really well and they overtake me, you know, I, I, I then have to then do more to secure my place a bit more. So it's, you know, it's a little bit up in the air and it's it's how it is. Um, But, yeah, hopefully for me, um, it would make sense if they just put in five more tournaments like there was going to be. Um, And I I think that's fair for for everybody. And hopefully for the athletes, you can step back a little bit earlier and relax and recover and get the best uh, training in before the games.
0: Okay, so I'm going to ask two more questions to try and finish on a more positive note rather than COVID because I'm sure everyone's sick of it. But um, so the first one for me, what's... Obviously, you looking looking online. You you've done really well in a lot of tournaments and won medals and whatnot. What's that feeling like when you're able to step up onto a podium with a, a bronze or silver or gold, and you hear the national anthem going or anything like that? How do, how did that make you feel as an athlete?
1: It's it's amazing. It's it's you know it's one of those things where I know it's kind of a cliche, but it, you know for all the times where it's really difficult and all the hard yards that you make every day and the, like, sacrifices and, you know, hard choices that you make, um, it makes it worth it. You know, like, for, you know, for a short while, we were just like, you know, this was completely worth it, and then it's back to the grind. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, like, and I don't want that to sound like I don't enjoy my day today, I really do. But um, it is, yeah, it's one of those those moments where you just, you know... Can really digest and really realise what you're doing is a really good thing to be doing and it's really exciting and adrenaline filled and um and fun, you know, and, and it's um it's in those moments that you sort of really get that real strong feeling of emotions that, you know, I don't know that I'd get if I didn't if I didn't do judo, you know? Like you might not get such like low emotions sometimes but you know you definitely don't get the highs you know if I if I just worked you know well if I did whatever you know I I wouldn't get the same emotions as I I get injured you know and on those moments it's really sort of you know shoved home and you feel really proud and um and emotional you know and
0: is there one that stands out to you is there one that you top of your list where you go actually that's one that I'm really, really proud of for?
1: There's been a couple recently, but one last year, um, I won the Grand Prix in Marrakesh, um, and, like, the Irish National Anthem was on, and it was just like, I beat somebody who'd beaten me loads of times before, and I was just really emotional, I, it just felt, like, so nice to, you know, and before that, I hadn't had so many good results, and I'd had, like, so this was, I think, March last year, and towards the end of 2018, I'd had like a real tough time. I'd been injured, um, and then I had a good result at the start of the year, but then I had two not-so-great results, and I sort of thought, like, oh, I don't have a slip, my form slipped again. Um, and then to have, you know, to be like, on top of the podium, um, and the results were coming, it was coming towards the end of the first year of qualification, I didn't have any results, really, and to to get a really, really strong result, to beat somebody I'd never beaten before. It's only the second time I'd ever won a Grand Prix. Um, and yeah, I was, it was just one of those moments where you just completely made up, you know. and Yeah, just... Set you on a good
0: path in terms of your mindset moving forward and results moving forward, I guess.
1: Sorry, can you say that again?
0: Set you on a good path in terms of your mindset moving forward and then your results moving forward from that point as well, I guess.
1: Yeah, 100%. And like for me, I I, I don't know if it's the same for everybody else, but like I'm sort of 28 now and you never know when enough's going to be enough for you, but then also when you've reached your ceiling. Um, and it's just one of those things where it's just like, no, no, You are good enough to be at this level. You are, you know, you are doing the right thing with your life because it does feel sometimes, especially with judo, like there's no money in it and you're sort of scratching around just to keep things going sometimes. Like it is a positive thing to be doing with your life and you are doing it for good reasons and it's worth doing. Um, And, yeah, from there I then had a really – I actually like had a week off and then started training again, went to Japan, had a really good time in Japan. And then got two more really, really good results. Um, one where I got bronze in Baku, which is, you know, I beat um, somebody in the bronze medal for I hadn't beaten for a long time, who then went on to win the World Championships like, uh, last year. Um, and then uh, equally, probably similar to Marrakesh, um, I got silver in the ho Ho Grand Prix in uh, China. Um, and it was one of those days where I woke up in the morning, I just didn't feel right, and I felt a bit ill, I just didn't feel, you know, good in myself at all, um, and, you know, I, I was just sort of like, you know, I have to, like, get myself up, and, got to, you know, um, I've got to find some way to win, you know, today. Um, my warm-up, like, couldn't have been worse, like, I just felt like a ragdoll being thrown around, and, like, just, just like, oh. Why now? Like, I'm in China, like flying all the way here, um, and I had a tough fight. I had a Russian guy first fight, and like somehow managed to throw him twice really quickly. And I was like, all right, okay, like come on. And I had um a German guy next round that like I I don't really like at all. <laughs> like there's not many people in judo that I don't like and don't get on with, but this guy, like if you know him, you might feel the same. <laughs> um, and he he's just like. He's always been a bit of a bully and just like you know, um but I had him and I'd never beat him before and I beat him really convincingly. And then the next round beat somebody um a Mongolian who I'd lost to in back of the tournament before, and just had like a really really good day. um And then I unfortunately lost the world champion um in the final. And by the end of the day, my knee had swollen up really like really big and was like really red and um, really uncomfortable and it wasn't until i got home that i found out i had a cellulitis infection on my knee which um is really quite serious and you know you, you can be hospitalized from it and it can turn into sepsis so i was just like really proud of myself to like get through a really tough day with you know you know i shouldn't have been able significant to significant injury at you know, that level you know and it was um After that, yeah, unfortunately, because of that, I then can fight the European Championships, but it was like a real big deal for me just to like be able to get through the day, um, beat some of the top players in the world when I really shouldn't have been able to. Um, and I think that will always stick with me as just, you know, I I literally remember saying to the Irish coach, um, Kieran Ward and my sister, I was like, I don't know how I managed to get to the final. I just don't know. (laughs) I, I, and, Kieran, the the Irish coach, basically said to me, it was like the way you looked in the warm-up, you like you're going our first round, but like, definitely, like and that's how, exactly how I felt as well. Like nobody said it, but he was like, you know, we both knew. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was just really, really proud to have got through that day, and you know, it was a you know a great result and a great day that would be lasting in the memory. And then.
0: Sorry, I forgot this question I wanted to ask you. So I'm going to put this in as well. What would it What would it mean for you if you were able to qualify for Tokyo in terms of being able to compete in judo, almost the spiritual home of the sport
1: and where it's founded, and all that type of stuff? It's like a once in a lifetime achievement, mate. Right? It's It's like it's such a big deal to be able to do it in um, in Japan. Um, we are quite lucky the world championships last year were in the same venue as they're going to be for the games this year so you sort of got like a feeling of how it's going to be um, and like you say judo is like the spiritual home of judo it's where it's from and you know it would just be amazing to be able to to go there and you know and I, I don't want to sound like um, the fetus it would just be good to take part in it you know I want to win it I want a medal but it'd also be just an amazing thing to be a part of, and, and also, especially, to be there for Ireland as well. And you know, I'd be immensely proud to be there for Ireland, and I'm sure my mum and all my Irish family would be very proud of hopefully me and my sister and uh, Nathan Burns to get there. Um, and you know, I hope that's the case, and we come back with three medals. It's
0: and then last question, this is actually the last question and it's one I asked everyone except for Tom. I forgot to ask him, so I need to get back to in touch with him about that. But um, can you name me the, the best player you've played against or sparred against or coach you've worked with or against and why? Um, OK, so it's, it's, um, I don't
1: know if you'd know, but there's a... I don't know if you'd know him, but there's um, a really famous, you know, guy called uh, Lipatiliani, and he's um, I fought him a few times. I've never beaten him, but um, in the first ever time I was in a Grand Slam final, it was like the first time I've been in a like around the medals in a in a Grand Slam, and he's world well, medalist, Olympic medalist, European champion. Like he's he's basically won it all. Um, and I remember being in the final, and like we were. Up. Due to be on in about like ten fifteen minutes, and I was warming up. He was asleep in the corner, and I was literally like, "What is he doing?" Like, I was like, "Is he like, is he not taking me seriously or something?" Like, and I was just a bit like, "What's going on?" Like, and literally like dwelled on the fact that he like, "Why is he asleep?" And then he literally got up, like, did a, a little bit, and then um, like was ready and came through, and he ended up beating me. But it like, reminded me of a story of um, like, um. Roger Federer apparently did the same sort of thing to Novak Djokovic when Djokovic was really young and he just sort of like I think it was was one of the tennis tournaments and they had to stop the final because there was a rain break and uh, they said to him like how long do you want us to call you beforehand and he was like oh just five minutes I'm going to go to sleep apparently Djokovic said afterwards it completely blew his mind that he could be so confident that he was going to beat Djokovic so easily um And that was just one really humbling lesson for me. Like, I was just like, he had his game plan down to a T. He knew exactly what he had to do to be able to be in the right. He'd been in that situation so many times. Um, And it was just, like, humbling for me and just, like, you know, when I was talking about you get the rub off somebody, you just, like, it was just, like, yeah, it was just, like, a very profound moment for me where I was just, like, wow okay, like, that's why he's so good and so, um, I've actually forgotten what your question was. (laughs) No,
0: the the same, um, who's the best person you competed with or against or coach you worked with or against and why, which I think is a good one. that that,
1: that was was probably like quite, something that sticks in the memory again, which I was just like, um, and like I say, he's like a world Olympic and European medalist, he's like one it all, but, um, yeah, it it was like, I almost sort of like, I, I I still went out and like competed well like for the first couple of minutes before I lost, but it was um it was just one of those where you just go this person is like I do not want to say different level to me, but he was just like the aura of it, it. and you just go okay like that's what I aim for, that's what I've got, and this is a couple of years ago, um, and I think I'm a lot closer than to him now than I was then. But it was just one of those where you think you've done really well to get into a Grand Slam final and then you're like, oh yeah, there's levels to this. I'm yeah. not there yet. <laughs> yeah.
0: You know? I, I've been watching the uh, Michael Jordan Last Dance documentary on Netflix. Oh, it's Great, isn't it? Unbelievable. And I think what you're talking about there, the aura of the person and how that affects the people he's competing against and... Um I think that was, that's for me one of the takeaways I take from that documentary when you've got people, you know, that are asking for his jersey or asking for his shoes and stuff whilst they're meant to be playing games and it's because the way that he acts exudes that confidence and you know, the almost air of invincibility and it then Absolutely. affects the people around around him or playing
1: against him. Yeah. No exactly and there's there's going to be people like that in all sports and it's um like i say it's humbling to come up against it but it's definitely one of those things that once you've gone through it you well you should learn from it i definitely have like how you know how spot on some people have it and like how professional and how how good people are at their sport
0: well listen then i appreciate your time and um We'll hopefully be keeping tracks of you over the coming periods where hopefully everyone gets back to normal. But it's been really good and interesting to hear your story. And if you're up for it, I'd love to do it again Um, further yeah, down the road.
1: Thank you very much for having me on. It was my pleasure. Cheers.